You're listening to How Did I Get Here, a deep dive into our journey to find the dream job. I'm your host, Jason Fish, and today I'm joined by Jim Pouliopoulos, sales and marketing educator, consultant, and author. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Really excited to have you on for the podcast. Um, So to get started, you graduated from WPI with an undergraduate degree in electrical engineering and then went straight into uh, RPI for your master's in EE. What were your career aspirations at the time? Uh, great question. I think when I look back at that period of time in my life, um, I had, you know, as a, as a kid growing up, I had been told over and over again how smart I was, how good I was at science. I was great at math. I had an interest in physics. Um, I used to dabble in, in, you know, building electronic things in my basement, robots and other sorts of things. And I think all around me, all the adults around me were telling me, you should be an engineer, you should be an engineer, you should be an engineer. I was really interested in science fiction as well. I I always dreamed about space travel and those types of things. So when it came time to go to college, it it felt like it was the right thing to go and, and focus on becoming an engineer. And my aspirations at that point really were to, to apply what I had learned at WPI as an undergrad. And then um, I was working um, at a company that uh, actually paid for me to get my master's degree. So I went to RPI to get my master's degree. And um, I didn't really have a, I didn't really have sort of a end goal in mind. I just, I just thought it was time, you know, time to put my education to use. And um and that's what I was doing. So, you know, I think I think if you had asked me back then what would have been a perfect or a dream role to have, I would have loved to be like an astronaut or a science fiction writer, which are two totally different things. But but I ended up being an engineer somewhere in between those. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and then moving on from there, you worked at GE for three years as an engineer and then moved on to GSI Group as a regional business manager. Right. For those not familiar with GSI, what do they do? And how did you make the move from engineering to business management? Yeah, good, good. So I really went went, after working at GE, and then um, I switched jobs and went to work as a project manager at a different company. And then I just, I just started having this sense that I wasn't doing, I wasn't interested in the work I was doing, I, I had started to get I don't know. I don't know if bored is the right word, but I just wasn't that interested in doing engineering work. And a, a big part of that was, for me, I love working with people and I love helping people. And I really wasn't doing that as an engineer or as a project manager. And I started working with an individual named Ken Lazat, who was a career coach. And I, it's, I just kind of came across his name in a, in a newspaper article, of all things, while I was on lunch break one day at my job. And I started working with him. He had, a, he had a process that he would take people through to help them find better careers, better career matches. And at the end of that project, I really came out of it thinking I needed to do something where I was communicating with people more and working directly with people on a daily basis and it really came down to two things, either go into sales or go into teaching. And so I followed the path into sales first. That's when I was a regional sales manager. That's the kind of work I did there. And GSI Group used to sell 
thermal printers, small high resolution printers to medical device companies. So anyone, any company that would make like a, def a heart defibrillator or a heart monitor, when you see those devices and you see the little printouts of the heartbeats, we used to make the printers that went inside those devices. Hmm. And it was a good transition for me from a technical role into more of a people facing role because sales is certainly education and it's people facing. And I had the technical background to be able to talk about products. And so making that transition was, was, was a good one. It was a good pivot. It got me out of the technical work and into the people facing uh, end of the business. Yeah, absolutely. And since you were still selling a, a technical product, you know, there was a good crossover there. There was, there was. And, and, um, and in some ways I felt like all the time and the money I had invested in getting my two engineering degrees um, didn't go to waste because I was selling technical products, I guess. And I don't think that's in hindsight. I don't think, I don't think I should have felt that way. Uh, in mm -hmm. hindsight, I, 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 I look back at that period of time and I think I learned a lot about what I enjoy doing and what I'm good at by making that transition into a different job. And I think that's something that most people don't do. I don't, I think they, I think they place too much emphasis on the sunk cost of what it took for them to get into the career they currently have. And then they hold on to it maybe a little too long because of the mo the money and the time that they put into getting there. So hmm. when I look back on that, I, I realize indirectly or subconsciously, I was, I was starting to understand the areas that I was, uh, more interested in working in almost like experimenting with different roles. So moving into sales was a good, was a good move for me. And it was around that time I started working on my MBA as well, because I felt like I didn't understand enough about business in general. I understood the technology, but I didn't understand business well. So I, I got my uh, MBA from Bentley university, uh, while I was working in sales and then eventually in marketing. Awesome. And following your time at GSI, and then you worked at another company for a few years, QED, you spent a large chunk of your career at IBM as a senior marketing manager. What did the work look like there? So that was that was an interesting period of time. I was there for 13 years. And uh, I was in the first two or three years, I'd say the first three years or so that I was at IBM, I was in a small uh, entrepreneurial team inside the company, we were working on a lot of mobile and wireless technology, a lot of mobile and wireless products. So this was, think of it, it was pre iPhone days and pre smartphones. And, and at, back then all the cell phones could do would make phone calls of all things, right? Um, you had to have a pager if you wanted to send text messages to someone and you had to have a digital camera if you wanted to snap photos. And there was no way really to get your email on the run. And we kind of created a bunch of products that allowed you to do all those things through your cell phone or through your, at the time, through your uh, text pager. So uh, those first few years at IBM were fantastic because it was an entrepreneurial group. I was a product marketing person. I was a product manager. So I was involved in some of the creative work in terms of de developing what the product should be able to do. I was doing a lot of sales trainings. So I was helping sales people learn how to sell our products and working with business partners and trying to help them understand how best to position our products and sell them. So I would say the beginning part of my IBM career was great. I'd say after that, 
um, IBM really kind of changed the nature of the work that we were doing. And over the next 10 years, I felt like my role became a lot more formulaic and a lot more process driven, a lot less creative. And I just, I really started to, again, wonder if I had picked the right industry and the right type of company to work for, because by the end of my time at IBM, I felt very sort of disinterested in, in all the process and the bureaucracy inside the company. And so it was a welcome change to leave, to leave IBM at that time. Right. And I think that uh, at many large companies, uh, especially the size of a company like IBM, sometimes it's easy to get lost in the huge crowd, you know, and kind of you're not really sure, you know, where you fit into the whole thing. Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, the, the, something that something that Dan Pink writes about in his book, Drive, he talks about things that motivate employees. The, there are three elements of that. One is autonomy, being able to, you know, sort of do your job. And under your own terms and do it well, there's mastery, which is, you know, being able to to focus and, and build the skills and the knowledge you need to do your job better. And then purpose, being able to see the end result of the work that you do. And I think that last one is one that that a lot of large companies struggle to provide their employees, because I remember being at IBM and being just a small part of a much larger marketing organization and just wondering all the things that I'm working on, what what is the end result of it all? I, I could never really tell. And and it was and it was very unclear because of the number of people involved and the number of levels of the organization and the bureaucracy and just how slow everything moved. And so you start to lose a sense of purpose. And you know, sometimes you work for managers that are a bit more micromanagers, so you start to lose a sense of autonomy. And then your sense of wanting to master a certain task starts to diminish because you start to wonder what's the point. And, right. and I certainly felt that uh, at times at IBM. And uh, as I said, you know, transitioning out of there was was maybe the best career move of my life. Following your time at IBM, those 13 years, you started your own sales and marketing consulting practice. What made what motivated you to start your own business? So when I left IBM, I was laid off with I'm going to say approximately 10,000 other people in the U.S. at that time. It was right around the time of the recession back in 2009. And I had had it, I had, I had just had it with that type of uh, structured organization and, and decided that I would not go seek another job like it. My entire resume screamed, go work for, you know, large tech, tech company. That was what my resume looked like. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it again. So uh, at the time when I left, um, IBM provided some outplacement services. And one of the things they provided us with was a career counselor. So another career coach, really. And someone I spent a lot of time speaking with. Her name was uh, Libby McDuffie. She was great. And we really talked about sort of what I wanted to do. And, and so the theme of helping people kind of came back into it. I really wanted to help people. Uh, I really wanted to to teach, I had started teaching on a part-time basis at Bentley. So I had already started sort of working as an adjunct lecturer, teaching marketing classes at night at Bentley University. But I wanted to do more uh, at a professional level. And one of the outcomes of that was that I decided to start my own business coaching firm. So this was a company that called The Growth Coach that allowed me to coach business owners on how to be better at running their own businesses. And Part of it was coaching, so certainly going in and working with business owners and 
And when you're a coach, you don't tell people what to do necessarily. It's not like being a consultant where you tell them exactly what to do. As a coach, you really work them through a process so that they can see and solve their own kind of issues and, and areas that they want to focus on. And it was interesting because it was very much a, a hybrid role where I was teaching for sure and helping absolutely the business owners I worked with. And because of my background and, and my education, my MBA and, and my corporate background, I was able to, to bring some of the consulting elements into it, especially around sales and marketing. So that was an interesting period of time. And um, as I tell people often, I didn't burn my boats when I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't burn my bridges, I should say, when I left IBM. You know, I was very professional and on the way out the door and did everything I was expected to do as an exiting employee. But I certainly burned my boats because I didn't put together a resume. I didn't, I didn't go looking for another job like that. Um, you know, and, and some of it was at, at great financial uh, impact to my family while we tried to get my business off the ground. So I did the business coaching thing for a few years. And, um, and in doing that and continuing to teach as an adjunct at, uh, at Bentley and at WPI, um, one of the things that ended up happening was uh, in 2012, I was offered a job as a full-time member of the faculty at Bentley University to teach sales and marketing courses. And so I jumped at that and, and uh, continued to run my business coaching and my sales and marketing consulting business. Before we uh, touch upon, I've got a couple questions about Bentley, but what would you say is the most challenging part about owning your own business? Oh, certainly finding clients. You know, revenue generation, I think, is the hardest thing. Um, I think what a lot of business owners that I worked with and and myself as a business owner, I think uh, one of the, one of the things that my business owners were always surprised at was how much time uh, they really needed to spend on generating new business versus delivering goods and services to customers. You know, sometimes people start a business, if you're interested in plumbing, for example, and you want to become a plumber, if you're an independent plumber, you know, obviously you want to do the technical part of the work because you've trained to do it, you enjoy doing it. But at the end of the day, if you're an independent plumber, you need to spend a lot of time finding new clients. You know, in great, during times of great economies, clients may come to you when there's a building boom or when there's a lot of um, construction happening or, or you've made... Um, you've made some good inroads with current customers and you get a lot of word of mouth uh, advertising. But honestly, most business owners don't, they underestimate how much time they should be spending to generate new revenue. And, you know, really, if you look at it from an 80, 20 point of view, I think, especially in service businesses, so business coaching or consulting or training, anything like that, where, where you're delivering a service, I think you probably need to spend about 80% of your time looking for new business and 20% of the time delivering, you know, your services to your clients. And I think that's the hardest part of it because most people start a business because they're passionate about what the business does. Most people do not start a business because they're passionate about going out and finding new clients, right? So, so that's the, I think that's the hardest part about being in business is generating revenue. And going back to Bentley University now, you spent, uh, a good amount of time there um, so far the past 18 years and you're the founding director of the professional sales program um, 
were you brought on to do that when you were turned into a full-time hire or is that something that you you know brought to the table for Bentley University? Um, so when I was hired, I was hired primarily as a lecturer in the marketing department. So I was teaching, you know, introductory marketing courses and, and then the more advanced strategic marketing, new product development uh, courses, uh, those types of things. But within a year after getting to Bentley, uh, in having conversations with the, with the chairperson of the management department and the chairperson of the marketing department, um, and also conversations with folks in the career services office, uh, it became obvious that uh, employers liked hiring Bentley students into sales roles because good quality students, hardworking, very pragmatic, great business school, great business background. So they were eager to hire Bentley students into sales roles, and they were. They were hiring stu many students into sales roles. But they asked us if we could, the employers asked us if we could even do more, create more courses or do more to uh, encourage uh, people to go to sales careers as a as a path uh, coming out of Bentley. So we looked around at the, at the landscape of what other schools were doing. And at the time, there were less than a dozen or so colleges that had a, a formal sales program. In other words, had a major in, in sales, professional sales of some sort. So the school asked me if I, you know, I had a background in sales and had been teaching for a while. They asked me if I would see if I could put together a program that would uh, allow us to present a, a major in professional sales. And it took a little over a year to do the research and to, to find out what other schools are doing and also what, what employers were looking at in the landscape. So uh, we went through the process of getting it approved internally and, um, and it launched, uh, I think our first graduate from the professional sales uh, program. In other words, the first person to graduate with a bachelor's degree in professional sales from Bentley was in 2015. And um, we have, you know, that the major itself has about 50 students in it now, which has grown from just a handful when we first launched it. And it seems to get larger every year. Um, that was, uh, I would say that is one of the more interesting and more impactful things that I've been able to do here at Bentley. It's, uh, it's been an interesting sort of path to, uh, uh, you know, to put that on the map and, um, you know, and Bentley's, you know, brand has been grown a little bit, at least in terms of the, the folks that are hiring sales, salespeople uh, have been coming to Bentley now and saying, you know, we, we like the quality of the students coming out of the program. We'd love to, uh, we'd love to hire more. So it's been, it's been an interesting, um, it's been an interesting combination between employers, uh, faculty and students. It's been a great, it's been a great experience all around. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, really awesome. A lot of growth and traction, it seems like, over the last uh, five years. Yeah. Yep. What would you say is like the number one trick or tip to working in sales? Well, the number one thing is not to think of it as that a trick, right? It's not a trick at all. I think that I think um, sales has changed in the last 30 years. And where I think there were salespeople that liked to trick people in the past, um, I think you can't really do that anymore because there's so much information available out there for people to know what the truth is about products and services. I think the most important thing is just to be a good listener, just to just to be a genuine, uh, just a genuine uh, interested listener in what people are in what people are sharing with you when you have that sales conversation. So, I 
I think listening is an undervalued skill in many ways. I think that um, being being careful not to pitch. In other words, not to just start telling someone about your products before you really have a chance to understand what their needs are is is critical. And if you have a genuine interest in the other person, I think you'll do well in sales. I think if you if you're in it if you're in it just to generate money for yourself without thought to how it impacts the client, I think then you won't be in it in the long haul. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just to recap, you're the founding director of the professional sales program at Bentley. You have your own consulting business, but there's one more thing, one more project that you've been working on the last few years. Would you be able to tell me a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. So the la- the latest thing, um, and I think this is just another another somewhat of a pivot again for me career-wise. I think I've spent the last you know three decades, if you will, trying to figure out what the best um, what the best path is for me personally. And in addition to sort of being passionate about teaching and and working as a, as a a university lecturer, I developed a real interest in personal happiness, positivity, well-being, and was able to explore some of those themes in a few TED talks that I did. We had some regional TED programs here in this area, and I, I was able to present three separate times at different TED conferences some ideas about career satisfaction and personal happiness. And that led me to connect with an organization in, in, uh, in England called The Art of Brilliance, which is run by the founder, a um, person by the name of Andy Cope. Andy is a, a positive psychologist. And The Art of Brilliance offers training programs to individuals and organizations around positivity, happiness, and well-being. And um, Andy and I became friends. Uh, long distance friends. We kind of talked a lot about our our mutual interest in this area. I spent some time over in England shadowing Andy and his team, learning their material and uh, collaborating with them. And the outcome of that has been basically that, uh, well, two main things. One, Andy and I and one of his other facilitators, Sanj Sandhu, um, have collaborated on a book which is coming out in July. Um, The book is called How to Be a Well-Being rules to live every day, unofficial rules to live every day. And the uh, the second thing is I'm the U.S.-based facilitator trainer for the Art of Brilliance material. So all of the work that Andy has done in the 12 years of research he did, investigating what makes people happy, um, he's put that all into a series of uh, keynotes and workshops and I am Andy's U.S. representative, and we've also added material to that based on the uh, the stuff that we've written about in the book together. So, um, so that's a pretty exciting thing. I think, I think when I talk to students, I, I tell them, you know, as you go through your career, you should always sort of pause and ask yourself what you're learning about yourself in each individual role that you have. And I think that's even more important than what goals you have and what outcomes that you produce. I think learning as much as you can about yourself internally uh, as you do the work and continually ask yourself, do I enjoy doing this or, or would I rather be doing something else? Um, you just, over time, you just kind of course correct. And for me, I feel like this last course correction where I've, you know, I'm, I continue working as a lecturer at the university, but also uh, writing uh, and, and I'm now working on my second book and, and speaking about happiness and positivity. Those are the things that really 
uh, I think I'm, I'm closer to realizing what my purpose is, which is to help people become the best version of themselves, whether they are, you know, working as individuals or working in the workplace. And, um, and this is one conduit to do that. So um, it is it is something that's been pretty exciting to me. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's really awesome. And when does the book come out and where can people find it? So the book comes out July uh, July 24th, I believe, is the actual publication date. The easiest way to find it is to go on Amazon. Uh, it's available there. And uh, the easiest way to find the link to it actually is just to go to my website, which is Pooley.com, P-O-U-L-I.com. And uh, Pooley is what most people call me because with a name like Pooleyopolis, it's good to have a short nickname. So mm-hmm. Pooley.com is where the book is highlighted. If you go there right on the front page, you'll be able to see it. And take the link right to Amazon, and uh, you can order the Kindle version or the hard copy right there. Awesome. Okay, so I have two final questions for you. The first being, what do you wish you had done differently in your business journey thus far? Good question. Uh, I can. I have actually thought about this. It was the subject of my third TED talk um, when I was at WPI. One of the projects that I did, uh, WPI has this really interesting curriculum. It's called the Plan. It's all project-based learning. And one of the projects that I did was to teach physics at a high school in the Worcester area. And uh, I remember going into it thinking it seemed like an intriguing project to do. And really, it was the best thing I did at WPI. So preparing lesson plans and taking physics and turning it into something easy to to digest for high school seniors who may or may not be interested in technology. And I spent you know, I spent uh, a semester teaching uh, two separate classes uh, physics, and it was it was it was the best thing I ever did. It was the hardest I ever worked at WPI, and it was the most fun I ever had in any project at WPI. But when it was over, I kind of looked at it and said, "All right, it was an inter- interesting project, but it really wasn't engineering per se." So I'm just gonna I'm gonna file it away as something I enjoy doing, and uh, and now it's time to get back to the to the real work, right? To become an engineer. If I could do it again, I would go back and I might and I might advise my younger self to pay a lot more attention to the fact that teaching was something that I was a natural at even back then and perhaps, you know, go into more of a teaching or an education role after leaving uh, WPI versus going into sort of a, uh, a strict engineering role. I just wonder how, you know, what the path of my life would have been um, you know, my career would have been if uh, if I had done that earlier. But uh, I have no regrets about, you know, where I'm, you know, the path I took. But I just wonder how much faster I would have gotten to my ideal career, if you will, if I had started sooner. Yeah, it's pretty cool that you had that teaching experience so early, especially um, in undergrad. And it's pretty cool how um, you did end up becoming a lecturer and professor um, yeah. later on in your career. Yeah, Absolutely. What has been the biggest turning point in your life and how has it altered your path? So I would say the you know, the biggest turning point really was around the time that I was laid off in IBM because leading up to that point in time, two things happened. One, about a year before my layoff, actually two things happened about a year before my layoff. One, um, I had a bout with, uh, with depression and, uh, and I've not, and I, and I dealt with it as most people do at the time by getting some help and finding someone I could work with and work through. Um, 
what came out of that uh, that crisis for me was that I really needed to spend more time worrying about and paying attention to uh, my own needs as a person, as a human, because I think I had uh, subjugated a lot of that uh, in the in the years, frankly, in the decades leading up to that point in time. And the other thing that I the other thing that I learned through it was um, that I was in an environment and I was allowing my environment to impact my happiness. So I, I know nowadays that you know the environment around us does, obviously has an impact on whether or not you're going to be happy, but but a lot more of your personal happiness is based on how you react to your environment. And I was not reacting in the right way. I, I, I felt trapped at IBM towards the end. And I think I allowed that to impact, you know, my mental health in a very negative manner. But the second thing that happened about a year before I got laid off at IBM was that I volunteered to be part of the mentoring team at IBM. And there were nine people on this mentoring team. Uh, and they ran all of the mentoring programs across the entire company. There were about 300,000 employees at IBM at the time. And, and we were the ones creating the, the mentoring programs all different, of all different kinds. And I found that that volunteer effort was fascinating to me. And, and much like my experience at WPI about teaching physics, I think my time, my one year of volunteer service on the mentoring team was the best thing I did at IBM. I think it had the broadest impact and it allowed me to, to do things that I was really good at, which was listening to people, helping people and teaching people. And uh, it was only a, you know, a few, it was only a day or so a month that I was working on that team. But of all the things that I did at IBM, I think it was the most enjoyable for me and the closest to my actual purpose. So. So the turning point was the layoff, but I had learned two very valuable things through, um, you know, through my my uh, mental health crisis and through my work on the mentoring team that you know I've carried with me to today and have uh, and never looked back. Thank you for listening to this episode of How Did I Get Here. To learn more about Pooley and see what he's up to now, check out his LinkedIn profile or his website. Both are linked in the description of this podcast. Subscribe to my email list to get a weekly email notification on the latest episodes and more. You can also support my podcast using the support button on the Anchor website. Until next time.